Hello? Yes, hi. <laughs> that does matter. Are you in Texas? Yes, sir. Where in Texas? Dallas. You familiar? Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been around Texas. I've had uh, um, friends there. I've done business in Dallas. Cool. And so I know Dallas. You know, I know Dallas. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know. I try to mess with Texas before it messes with me. Well, that's probably very wise. Uh, uh, we, we, you know, there, there's a way in which there, there needs to be some people to stay in Texas so that it doesn't get too crazy. Uh, <laughs> some people who can help Texas not get too crazy. And, and my wife yeah. and I are minority by far. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people are moving there uh -huh. and, uh, you know, from what I can tell, and they're not, you know, between immigration and people moving from California, they're not all, you know, they're a new breed of people on right. some level. And it, it'll it'll change Texas. Texas is the past. That's why it's making, you know, the Texas political culture is the past. It's not the future. True. And, and that's it. And that's why they're screaming. You know, and so they're just breaking down the system because it needs to get, you know, the systems need to get breaking down. You know, do you, are you familiar with the political philosopher Hannah Arndt? No, I'm interested though. Yeah, she's a uh, she's a uh, political scientist okay. that um, that was really influential in the uh, 50s and 60s. Uh -huh. And you know, she she was born. God, when was she born? At the turn of the last century. So she was in college in the 1920s. How do you spell her last name? A R, I think it's a uh, Jewish German name. A R N D T. Okay. She, she wrote a number of, of books. She she ended up, you know, living in the United States. But she was a, uh, you know, she was a deep thinker, and um, you know, when she went to college, she was getting a degree in philosophy and theology, and she was, you know, very very close with some of the top existential philosophers in the in the. Um, period between world war one and two in germany mm -hmm. that's some really great thinkers but basically she you know she was jewish she didn't get you know she had gone to america went back to germany and got stuck there when the war started you know she was just visiting talk about bad luck talk about yeah. good luck Oof. And she did she didn't end up in a she ended up getting out but was there and you know had to avoid all the the stress and came back to the United States and established herself as a writer and intellectual and, a, and an academic. But what she did, she wrote a number of very interesting books, uh, deep thinking on humanity and culture. And one of the concepts she came up with was the idea of the gap, mm -hmm. where at certain times in history, we get into a gap at the point between the past and the future. Okay. We're always there. And she says, you have to unfix the past and fix the future. That's the role of the moment. So yes. we're we're in a collective liminal space, as it were, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, we're in a. I mean, yeah, she wasn't a transcendentalist in mm -hmm. the sense of New Age, but you know, because the first generation from what of modern philosophers were more understanding the mind, but they weren't necessarily going into the uh, LSD abstraction of the yeah. New Age yet. Okay, some had some sense of it. Certainly, Thomas Merton did. Um, who was also a modern spiritual thinker, you know. Yeah. He, he was he was sort of the first uh, hippie, so to speak. Right. Seeker. 
So anyhow, I, 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 and he did all of that without hair, you know? Yeah, there we go. He did. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm really happy that we're starting this out, this conversation out this way. It gives me a sense um, that I uh, don't have to have my guard up with you. <laughs> Uh, okay. because you know, I feel like we would share similar worldviews. Um, and, and I, I trust Rick, he's a friend of mine and I've been on his show before. Uh, and also I, if you're a friend of Rick, then you, I assume, uh, are already open-minded to larger realities and, and whatnot too. Well, look, I, I live in Fairfield. And so, I mean, which, you know, there's a range of people here. Um, you know, so I'm a part of new age culture. I, I go back with Rick a long time. We're part of a fraternity of, of men that were together in the eighties. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he predates me. He, I'm, I'm not 70 yet. He predates me and he was a pioneer in the TM movement. But, you know, um, we went back to a, a time where we we're in a men's monastic group together. You know, the day that, that Nixon, that, that uh, Reagan got elected, Rick and I were on a plane going to India for four months together. Wow. And, you know, doing the big size conference from Marishi Mashogi. And, you know, Rick was, you know, we're all in a different reality. Rick's really come a long way. Uh, you yeah. Know, he's an incredible uh, human being, and I'm really proud of him. You know, he used to be a pain in the ass, you know, <laughs> orthodox pain in the ass. <laughs> orthodox in terms of the TM movement. Just that, yeah, just yeah. the old world. Yeah. And rigid in our thinking, uh, and see, you know, and seeking the, um, something new. And we, so it was a paradox of very much onto new things mm -hmm. and into new, new realities. And, and we did it, you know, we, we helped to move the ball forward. We helped to fix the future. Okay. And not fix the past, but you know, we also had, had a, you know, had to learn to think differently. In some bizarre way, we, our thinking was very similar to our ancestors still. And so it takes time for the mind to begin to think differently. And when you talk about this differently piece, the way I understand it because of my own work and background is I'm hearing a metanoia, um, an, ex an expansion of heart-mind that, um, <clears throat> that takes in more reality kind of along the lines of uh, maybe stage theory a little bit, or uh, these wider ways, wider lenses of seeing the world, where you can see where we come from in the past in that worldview, yeah, and we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're I don't know your your language in that, but I get it. You know, yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, we weren't mature. Sure. It's one. It's one thing to look through a microscope and see uh, something you ne don't see. Yeah. It's another thing for the mind to process it with wisdom and maturity. Sure. Yeah. And, and each generation has a different, um, iteration of wisdom and maturity as, as, as humanity evolves. And there's always those yeah. that are way, um, ahead of their time. And there's always those that are way, you know, behind the times. And there's always those that are us that are part of the times, so to speak. And so as being, we're just, we were part of the times. Uh huh. And so we sort of had a lot of mentality in the past with us still. And we didn't have the broad perspective. So we thought, hey, 
Kim is the answer. It's sort of like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Transcending is being saved. <laughs> and we went into the Vedic knowledge, and it, it was a dangerous knowledge and a wonderful knowledge. Dangerous because it was an iteration out of theology, you know, which was externalized for most people, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, of a mental belief system. For the mystics, obviously, it was what it was, but it was an externalized belief system. And so we did that with this knowledge. We externalized it and said, A, B, C, D, and we're done. We're enlightened. And in some ways, it, it captured uh, minds that wouldn't have become so rigid because it was so profound. But we didn't have, you can't force wisdom. Right. Well, that, yeah, I, I agree. You mentioned Thomas Merton. Uh, my own background, I mean, I, I, see, I've been a therapist for 22 years, and um, I come from a mystical Christian background. I'm not, are you familiar with the um, spiritual teacher Richard Rohr, by chance? Or? Yeah, I, I am familiar with him. I come from a conservative Catholic family. Okay. Uh, and so my, my father actually, um, you know, had a, he had a degree in theology and philosophy, but he, he was a career naval officer, and then he ended up going into education when he retired. Uh -huh. But he was a, he was a, um, he died younger, as is often the case with, with people in our movement. But he was a, um, but he was a, um, you know, very uh, conservative um, part based Catholic, but he was old school a little bit. Yeah. Um, on the devote, you know, uh, he had a huge devotion to the Virgin Mary. A, pi a piety, a pious tradition yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, pious. And I, I got into Merton recently. I didn't know, I heard about him, never looked at him because um, I forget how it came up with Thomas Merton stuff. You know, obviously Rick. And one of my sisters said, hey, dad, our dad. Uh-huh. And the Merton book. I go, really? You know, huh. now I mean, it was part of the family jump, you know? And um, so that captured my attention that he would have a Merton book. Yeah, no kidding. And I said, wow, that's interesting. Then as we put two and two together, um, he, he did teach at Columbia a bit in the ROTC or whatever. You know, he was a, uh, a naval officer and he taught there. And I said, that's interesting. He maybe networked with Catholics. Mm -hmm. And Merton was a big part of Columbia. He may have gotten network with some of those early Catholic seekers. Yeah, and I said that. So that was interesting. So I'm trying to have him find which book it was. Probably it was Seven Story Mount. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and I also like the fact that you are uh, in. You understand investment. I, I, the language of finance. That's not something I'm familiar with. The topic of our interview is going to be. Uh, the spiritual implications of UFOs. <laughs> and it's a topic that um, it's interesting to me, and I've had a lot of experience with uh, ufology, and I've uh, written a lot about uh, perennial spiritual traditions um, within the context of uh, some channel channeled sources that I trust. Um, but I myself, I have a master's in theology and in Catholic theology, and still see myself within the, uh, not maybe not Catholicism in this, uh, I don't in dismiss a lot of the Catholic stuff, uh, but I, I wouldn't be fully accepted in that paradigm anymore. Uh, but I see myself as Catholic with small c, universal, but I've gone deep I in that. Absolutely, I, yeah. I completely understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Where did you get your master's? 
Um, I have a master's in clinical social work from Boston College and also from a pastoral theology from BC, Boston College as well. Are you a New Englander? Uh, well, I I'm from Texas, but I lived in Nicaragua for a couple of years and then I did okay. with the Franciscans and then I was in Boston for four years and then we went to Chicago for four years. So I've been around and love it. And you were with the Franciscans? I was with um, a lay order, uh, non-priests or brothers, but we lived with them, uh, and we worked alongside them. Uh, and I was so it's a program for people right out of college, and I, I lived with them for two years. Yeah. All right. Now, well, we have a lot in common there. It sounds like you had a pastoral. Um, yes. Karma and um, you know, which I've had, and, but are, but you're married, so you're also a householder. Yeah, um, I discerned the priesthood for a long time, and I'm still very attracted to religious life, but I feel my own vocation is actually to be a part of this kind of meta-modern understanding of religious life where you're a monk in the world. Um, some call it the fourth turning, or I don't know what, what it's called, but it's this sense of um, honoring, uh, re rediscovering and honoring uh, certain traditional values um, uh, without the uh, exclusivity uh, and it's, it's like savoring the baby and moving, you know, throwing out the bathwater kind of thing. Uh, and so I founded a, a spiritual group called Building Forth, which is building forth chakra, building forth um, density, the, the next consciousness that humanity is moving into. And building forth on our journey, it's, it's a play of words. And there's a few of us, uh, we get together, we have people from all over the religious spectrum, as well as gay, straight, uh, white, black, brown, all of that. Right, right. Um, but so interesting, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was very much, um, you know, as uh, growing up as a young boy, um, you know, I, my, my father passed away when I was like about 13, and he was a sort of a well-known, he, he was a big influence in our family. But I had a very close relationship with his uncle, who was a leading Franciscan friar at that time. What was his name? Um, Father Udesico. Huh. He, he had a, he ran a, not leading leading, he was prom, you know, he was known, he was loved, he was known in the order. He was not a monastic yeah. in the sense of uh, he, he was a pastor and he uh, helped create a big church right near um, Niagara Falls. No kidding. Ah. And and I he used to come down. I grew up on the Jersey Shore. It was a Franciscan place in Seaside Heights. So he had a, you know he used to come you know stay there <laughs> for <laughs> summers. And uh, but I was um, he was only a couple years older than my dad. It's one of those family stories mm -hmm. where my my dad's father was sixteen when he was born. And this was the youngest. His uncle was like a brother. He grew up together, didn't even mm. know it was an uncle. But anyhow, I had this, this Franciscan had an influence on me. I used, after my dad died, yeah. I used to go up and uh, stay with him. Then he died early. And I had this great trip once where I, um, me and another buddy whose uncle was a Franciscan, you know, uh, toured all through Canada and stayed for free at Franciscan places. Yeah, wow. We're considered, we're considered family. Oh, beautiful. That had a big impact on me. Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm Franciscan at heart. I mean that that actually yeah, is that's my thing. It's yeah. I don't. Yeah, I'm a Fran, I'm a Franciscan at heart too. Yeah, I mean, that's my nature. And I I mean a lot of people had 
really bad experiences in the Catholic Church. I only had good experiences. Uh huh. And good. Um, yeah, I mean, I was an altar boy, and um, I was I was a bit of an asshole. I mean, the last person anyone would want to abuse, believe me. <laughs> I was more I was more likely to tease someone or abuse somebody else. But anyhow, I see. <laughs> well, you're not, familiar. Not a, not a not a cruel person, but a joke a jokester. A jokester. Um, you're familiar with uh, okay, so I'm gonna a- can I ask you a few pointed questions on yeah, um, yeah. that's related to this interview because I really want to uh, get yeah, your yeah. take on stuff. If the if the world is looking at something from a particular, if I'm looking at something from a particular bias, then it's going to um, uh, frame how I uh, teach that to others and try to get people on board in a sense. You know, like that's. And it sets up this, from my perspective, a fundamentalist um, warfare mindset where we have to red pill everybody and then get them into um, fighting for our rights and uh, that kind of thing by educating people about the evils of uh, the mind control that has been going on for thousands of years, um, mostly coordinated by negative aliens. So that's kind of where he's coming from. And he, at least I understand in his, the way he understands what we should look like here is an uh, ardent libertarianism um, that posits anything on the progressive side, even progressive moral politics like feminism, perhaps, and those kinds of things would be a part of the overall negative agenda. And um, the thing is, is that I don't disagree with some of where he's coming from. Um, but I, I think that there's lots of problems, uh, of course. And But I'm not dogmatic, and I've done super amounts of long spiritual journey and a lot of counseling and myself, and I've been a counselor for 22 years. And I've come to see the both and in a lot of things and how to discern um, more clearly. And I have a problem, a fundamental problem, and this is this might actually be my blindness, so I'm not saying I, I know. Right, 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 right. right but my right, fundamental right. problem is a kind of a libertarian approach to economics or politics seems to me as an incredibly privileged position of people who have enjoyed power <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. and have a, a, um, a Petri dish type lab mindset based in modernism that um, they want to extol these uh, political ideas that actually don't take into account the real uh, evidence of racism and marginalization and so on and so forth. So then you would end up having a caste system and all of that. But that's just my bias and I could be real wrong. And I'm just trying to get a sense of of, of a little bit of a wider picture. Do you have anything to say about that? Or maybe I'm, I don't know. Yeah, look, I, I hear what you're saying. It's interesting. I think a couple things, I don't know, um, you know, a couple things. I'm not, you know, I am a journeyer in culture and I've gone outside the TM movement. I've also, um, you know, been grounded in, in business, mm-hmm. okay? Where my job has been to, um, you know, evolved into it being a, talent scout for hedge fund managers. Yeah. And so I search for hedge fund managers and I evaluate their integrity. 
yeah. and their abilities and their strategies. And that's something I've been doing for 30 years. Right. And so uh, and they're a highly pedigreed uh, group of people. Mm-hmm. They come out of the financial industry. And so most of the, you know, so we're, we're looking at the institutions of Morgan Stanley, yep. uh, Goldman Sachs, um, UBS, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I've worked in that world and I'm sort of, I, I still have a little fun with 10 hedge fund managers. Um, so I'm not unfamiliar with this. I mean, uh, you know, in the, the investing world is a, uh, is a, it, what I like about investing is it's, it's, the best investors have to be generally, and there's exceptions to every rule I feel, pretty developed or evolved people. Okay. Because you can't believe too much. Uh-huh. Okay. A, a friend of mine, uh, you know, who's, who became very rich, you know, um, in the business, he's not perfect. He's not lying. But he said, Pete, you can't be a believer too much. Uh-huh. And, and that's it. People look for the Australian School of Economics, which I've heard about. Usually to me, when I hear someone say Australian School of Economics, it's a red flag that they lack uh, you know, it's like being a gold bug. There's a lack of flexibility. They're looking for yeah. something that's um, that's going to guide them. Yeah. This is this is it's this is you know, economics is navigating an evolutionary jungle. Sure. Okay, that has patterns. It's an ecosystem of humanity. Right. And and it has patterns, and people who understand the patterns and can live with them and can live with the change, you know, mm-hmm. and ride the change can do well in it. But to try to say, hey, I'm just going to be an herbalist or I'm just going to be in the logs or I'm just going to, yeah. you know what I mean? That, 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 you can do it if the trend, you know, the trend is your friend. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, you know, that's, you know, if the trend is your friend. So that's, that's the first thing I'm going to say. The other thing I'm going to say is that there's nothing new under the sun. And so the idea of external evil control has been there in all religion. Right. And so the idea of aliens is no different than the devil or devils or demons. Sure. Right. It's no different. Right. And, uh, you know, what plane is it on? Who the hell knows, right? Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're not here now, well, then you're in a different time space reality and maybe it's 10,000 million miles out. And maybe it's on a different plane. Who knows, right? Right. And and so that is nothing new. And I think you have to be very careful about um, these ideas of, of evil manipulation and control. For sure, there are trends that run through the mind of man mm-hmm. that are very powerful. And you look at you know populism, which is documented. Yeah. You know, and, and someone like Hannah Arndt. You know, you should look into her more. I'll send you stuff. Okay. They thought deeply about these trends because they were so damaged. You know, they were so powerful. Yeah. I mean, look at look at um, at Russia today. You know, which is a um, analog of Nazism. Sure. And you're having this incredible. The people are caught up in it. It's a horrible thing. Yep. And um, you know, they're even. I just sent Rick an article because we enjoy spinning stuff on propaganda back and forth. Um, some of the modern rock, there's a rock stars there. There's a guy named Shaman have moved towards nationalism and, uh, and Kremlin support. And so they're taking things that have been uh, part of freedom 
and rebellion and um, having concerts that are nationalistic with modern pop music. And, it, and so it's become a form of narcissistic worship, of nationalistic worship. Yeah, you know, and Alexander that, Dugan is, is a big part of that too. You're probably familiar with him. He's Putin's prophet. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah, he's someone who's, a, who's yeah, we don't know to what degree, but he's, he's his, his thinking, it, there's an, it, it's kind of like um, the Nazis had people who did Vedic teachings. Right. And thinking, and um, Dugan is on that level, you know, he's yes. an existentialist with a, with a malevolent underbelly. I, I, I am a hundred percent, I see, I agree with you. I mean, Rick did a good job in pairing us up because that's, but just by you saying that means that you've discerned all of that, uh, it, well, congruent with me, because um, I've right. arrived at that too, but uh, the... Uh, you're not you may not be familiar so much with the ufoology world um and it's not that important because truly nothing is new under the sun <laughs> but uh there in ufoology there's a lot of these disclosure advocates who are they they feel that they're getting information from sources and then they're putting them out there that are all that, that are talking about things like Putin is is the guy that is liberating the world from the evil reptilians or and Dugan, uh, you know these guys. Okay, look, look, you know, here's the thing. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. I mean, okay, what, what we you have to look at the moment we're in and be and we have to be practical about it. Mm -hmm. and, and we're in a we're in a moment of, of, of global reglobalization. Okay. Right. And it's a time of change. And when, when end times come, meaning the end of a, of a cycle, yeah, it's like the end of the world. Because the only world is here and now, quite frankly. That's right. This is it. You know, when we're, I'm not denying anything about reincarnation and all that. I certainly have a mortal coil that screams at the thought of annihilation. Sure. And so I want to believe stuff. But basically, we're always on the press of it of falling off a cliff and right. at a certain point there's a greater collective sense of being on the cliff and yeah. that's where we're at now yeah and it's no nobody's fault but someone's but then everyone starts screaming at somebody's fault uh-huh <laughs> yeah well, that's exactly that's what my article that i just wrote my article that i just wrote talks about this exactly yeah, it, it's nobody's fault but someone starts screaming it's everybody's fault uh-huh uh, and then and then uh, forces come in to um create division and say it's them. Right. It's them. It's them. The scapegoat mechanism, as Rene Girard yeah. said. And, and part of it is, um, you know, another great thing that Hannah Arndt said is that, you know, in, in reflecting on the post-World War II thing, she said violence um, comes out of um, impotency. And so when people... When the world's changing, more and more people are disenchanted. They feel impotent. Yeah. They don't feel powerful. They feel lost. They don't see a vision of the Especially future. if they're part of the power class in this world that is ending. And for some, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we'll talk about that. You know, there's a, there's enough more archaic power class and there's more enlightened power class. There's always a coexistence of okay. different levels yeah. together. But, but violence um, doesn't... Um, create power it destroys power and so you when we're in these uh 
period, you know, this is the 30s again on some level, and on some level it's the not. It's a killing time. It's a violent time, and violence is on different levels. Lying and propaganda is a form of mental or social violence, uh-huh. terrorism, you know, where you have, um, you know, people that are uh, trying to create chaos and turn person against person, it's like throwing bombs. There's always someone doing it, you know, and um, there's always been a political, you know, the John Birch Society, yeah. for instance, you know, there's been an element of that. And I'm not getting down too much here on the GOP because it's, it's I've worked with a lot of Republicans, uh-huh. but, but the, the extreme, the Republicans on the extreme side have always been information terrorists. Okay. And, um, and I, let's say people on the left extremism, they're going to have their own set. Sure. But um, this information terrorism is is um, is uh, started happening, and it it it's it's unfolding now into actual um, violence and terrorism. You know, it begins, and so we're in a time of change, and the world order is being reset. And you can come up with all types of cosmic reasons for it. Okay. But on another level, you just look at it and you look, a lot of people already understand this mm-hmm. and they know you have to ride it. You know, a lot of, you know, capitalism and socialism are, came up with industrialization and the use of carbon energy. You know, the use of carbon energy began to change the world order profoundly in, in the 1800s. And then we began, you understand all this, right? Yes, yes. We, we began to radically shift and in some ways, World War One and World War Two were the were, were the um, purification points, the gap between uh, more of a peasant feudal reality that was there and the modern industrial reality that was there. Uh, the United States, in our role, which I do not feel is over, um, was the New World, uh-huh. and so the New World was able to, um, you know, the New World. And the, the world of, uh, of the immigrants, you know, we're uh, the first multicultural society. We've been multicultural right from the beginning. Yes. Uh, and we've also had the energy of individual sovereignty, mm-hmm. along with cooperation. So the individual sovereignty was based on a rule of law. So that is the paradox that, that people play with. The libertarians want freedom, but they don't want to obey rules. You can't have freedom without rules right that's the key thing the rule of law allows for freedom well it would be the tyranny of chaos wouldn't it it would be the tyranny of mad max world where, where is there a mad max world it's in the soviet it's in the former soviet union now yeah that is a mad max world you know uh putin and his boys are are, are drug lords yeah okay that's all they are they want to control um you know they don't believe in god they understand climate change is coming. They understand globalization is coming. There's so much they don't understand or they wouldn't be, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot right now. But they said, hey, you know what? We're going to uh, control, um, you know, coal, energy, wheat, and we're going to be the dealers to the world and we're going to have control because that's it's because it's a Mad Max world. We want to be the biggest madman. And so that's what's going on there. And so they're challenging uh, the world order. And what I like to tell some of my friends that get caught up 
in these uh, in the propaganda regarding Putin and the attacks on Western institutions is you got to remember um, the United States was the country of the Marshall Plan of the Peace Corps. The Soviet Union was the country of the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. And so there's major differences there. And so the, I feel the role of America is not over. Right. Okay? And the energy of the uh, 1700s is not over. So it's a short period of time, relatively speaking. And so this energy of freedom, checks and balances, individual sovereignty within cooperation. This is beautiful. Challenged? I just got to say, Peter, this is beautiful. Do you read Steve, uh, Steve McIntosh? Have you heard of him or no? I, I haven't. I'm gonna. I would love it if you would send me some people that you like and read, and then I'm gonna send you some just to. I, th I mean, unless yeah. you you certainly don't need it. No, but. absolutely. No, 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 no. Send it. No, I, I'm interested in this stuff. Yeah, because that that's Over. the stuff that I read. These are the the people that are t that you're talking. How you're talking are is is a shared philosophy that I have myself. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Stephen McIntosh is in, okay. You have to send me the right one. There's a lot of McIntoshes. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, but anyhow. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, look, it's been, it's, I guess what I'm getting at is even in my own New Age community, I have been shocked at the uh, propaganda influence right. that's come into people. And it's been, it's been tough on me. I'm, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm not married. I'm, you know, I don't, you know, so I'm attuned to reality, to my system community than let's say people that are more focused on their own family yeah. network and basically um i've had to um, let go on it we're, we're it, it's a time where there's just um you know i have a i know new age channelers that have gone down a rabbit hole yeah that and that's what uh, we're talking uh, about that's my... that is it's just unbelievable I yeah. a woman, but they went down the mega rabbit hole yeah Okay, whatever, this whole thing, libertarian thing, this whole, yeah. you know, thing, just, uh, at, at first I thought, is she just trying to teach me to accept and let go? And I said, no, this is, this stuff is odious. Yeah. And I have to accept it. Right. And I, I, I can be an asshole saying what I think and maybe not sensitive. The non-dualistic mind is, is not without uh, good judgment. I think you have to have a healthy sense of dualism in mind and be able to discern well. Judgment is, 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 is yeah, it. it's a part of it, you know? And so, yeah. so look, it's, look, we'll have, it's an exciting time. Yeah. It's a very exciting time. And I've actually, we have something in common. I've gotten very interested in what I call modern, modernist spirituality of the forties and fifties lately, you know, uh, Merton, and um, let's say Hannah Arendt mm -hmm. or um, the Mellow. You may be familiar with that name. He was a Jesuit priest. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Okay, Anthony, read, Father Anthony, Father Anthony. I'm just getting into this, and I'm saying, oh. hey, you know, I, I sort of like um, you know modernist um, abstract art. You know that mm -hmm. art that came up, Picasso and others, and and the architecture of that time, the furniture of that time was a really interesting time, and. Um, you know, the, the um, ad man, madman time, so to speak, and um, 50s and 60s. And um, 
And I'm realizing that modernism really, I'm using the term and I'm not a theologian, but it really started coming up with the thinking. And it was really foundational to the new age and where we're at now. Yeah. And there's there's something to add from there. There's value in what sure. Murray and Arndt and these other people were thinking. But you also see the warming up of the platform change. So we're here now again. And so I'm looking for who's warming things up now again. Yeah. Well, that, that would be what I feel called to do. Um, I, I come from a position of post-postmodern. That is, that's what my interest is. Um, and it's, it's understanding traditionalism, uh, modernity, post-modernity, and then moving into this particular way to understand things that is not a transcend and exclude, but rather include and transcend. Um, but having the ability to, with, with hopefully an epistemic of humility, to be able to discern uh, the shadow of each particular area without and not demonizing it, Realizing that right. whatever we see externally or the macro is also what's happening on the internal. And if I am a, um, you know, as a therapist, good conventional therapy is not about, let's say, helping someone kill their anxiety or, you know, destroy their depression or squash their ego. It's really right. about learning how to um, move into those places of pain and constriction with witnessing presence and compassion and then there's all kinds of skills on how to do that so i think that we have to approach uh the shadow sides of the different strata of consciousness that we see out there from the position of an uh, integral or meta meta modernism as as it's called but let me ask you just a question real quick what do you you get a sense of the we're moving into something and there's a, there's something ending and there's something beginning. Um, do you have a, a sense of what that quote new beginning is looking like? What do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? I, I think that's a good point. I think, I, I think the other thing I'm going to say is that, uh, I think the other thing is, um, basically, um, you know, we are, we are, Information technology changes the world, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the point. And if you look at the printing press, you've probably heard this, it changed the world. It changed everything. It happened slower, okay? But, you know, once people started printing, the whole uh, Catholic Church fell. It challenged a feudal system. It was the beginning of the seeds of um, the United States and the of, of the thinking of the founding fathers, actually, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you can think and write pamphlets and, and debate and lobby in, in that way, independent of a um, authority that controlled information. So the printing press turned the world upside down yeah. and warmed up things for the industrial era. So um, the iPhone came out in 07 and it started social media. And so the word, things are moving faster. So we're turning upside down now again. And so the, so my sense though, is that, um, the, um, the leadership of the Western order is not over. Uh -huh. Okay. It's going to continue. 
because it's been the basis of progress, peace, and prosperity. The leadership of the United States in the globe, I don't want to sound like a patriot, you know, it's certainly different than the MAGA stuff, you know, has ushered in a period of prosperity. So I think that the principles that we've had are there. Sure. And they will continue. But we have, um, uh, with globalization, you had China come in, others have come in and grown. And globalization has mixed the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Okay, we thought when it started that everyone would live, eat, drink, and drive like a middle-class American. No, it, it, it flattened the world. So now we have to learn to move forward with a more globalized world. And a more evolved world is, is the harmony of more complexity. Great. And so that's where we're going. Uh, you know, every, you know, communism, capitalism, there's always an element of both coexisting. Well said. Okay. Yeah. You know, and so we have to figure out um, how to move forward with that. The other uh-huh. thing is, which I think is very profound, is GDP, the idea of gross domestic product. It became the holy grail also starting in 07 and 08 because that's when the first blast towards the global economic system happened. You know, when we had the Great uh, Depression. And uh, basically what happened was it's too big to fail. We have to keep people buying. We need consumerism. We need growth. If we don't grow, we, we explode. And so the government started bailing out um, banks. You know, I mean, Wall Street was collapsing. Mm-hmm. And then Europe followed even worse. And they had to bail out all those countries. And then everyone cooperated. China, Japan, Europe. It was an incredible period of cooperation that never happened before. Uh, monetary cooperation. We weren't after each other. So now that has unfolded, and so now we're in a period where, um, where do you go? GDP is not God's divine plan anymore. There's, that's, that's the problem. Economic growth may not be the future, and that's a hard thing to comprehend. Uh, do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. This I, is a big one. This is a big one. This is a big, it's huge. It's big. GDP is not God's divine plan anymore. I'm, obviously, I'm being cynical there. Yeah, but, but, and there's a movement but, now but, to but look that's at. that's it. We don't know. We don't, what, what does that mean? No. What does that mean? How do you do that? You know, if you're not, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to not be able to buy a new iMac. Um, yeah. What does that mean? And, yeah. and, um, and, 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 and there's reasons for it. We have 7 billion people on the planet, okay? Um, It's huge uh, exponential growth of people. Also, we have uh, anthropomorphic climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you're in, if you're in a garage and you're, you have your car on and you know, carbon builds up, it's not good. We have carbon build up in our atmosphere. Everyone's dying, especially those down down in Texas. But it's, it's creating change and poison in our environment. And so anyone who's smart and honest knows, boy, we need to change the way we're living. Yeah. And we need to clean up the – this is about atmospheric science. You know, climate change geological is irrelevant. It happens over millions of years. You know, we're dealing with a um, 
a short-term effect from a geological point of view of, 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 of changing our atmosphere and creating all types of crazy shit. So that's it. You know, we are in a period, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how our systems are going to readjust and, and people feel impotence right. and impotency brings violence right. and violence brings change. And those that are violent destroy themselves. They destroy, um, the good people sometimes. And then what happens is, uh, the new ways begin to unfold. So that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. And so what is it? I think a, um, the manifest nature is more paradoxical. So it's the harmony of paradox. It's the harmony of complexity. It's simplicity and complexity together. And that's called evolution. Right. That, and, I like that. And that, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and it's sort of what we've achieved in the West mm -hmm. to begin with, with our, um, you know, checks and balances, rules of law. It may be that globalization is going to force that down you go through globalization. Now you go and go back towards localization. So that's where your job is going to be. Right. Is, is we've globalized on every level, even spiritual globalization, you know, in some ways, you know, the economic thoughts and systems of the Western order splashed across, you know, Asia and China and, uh, and they have better societies on some level, not like ours, but you know, mm -hmm. and, th and they're, and their transcendentalism um, and Buddhism and all that stuff splashed back on us. So that's also throwing the world upside down because no one believes anything. You know, it's not it's not something you can believe in as well. You can. There's those that believe it and hold on to it. But there's also an existential crisis of um, people evolving to the point where they realize that they just have their minds, although they may want to hold on to something or they get more caught up in fantasy, you know, of the moment where you in Russia, you, you hold on to nationalism, which becomes fascism because it, it gives you comfort. And so that's, so that we're in this period where you have the extreme on one level of people experiencing more of the void for many people, it's depression and anxiety yeah. more a uh, lack of meaning um you know uh families aren't what they were with globalization communities aren't what they were churches aren't what they were and so it's it, it, so localization is next whatever that means mm -hmm. and that's part of what's going on with deglobalization is that um we have to each country has to sort itself out in its own way now more and, and, and the trade won't end, but there has to be a rebalancing. And so Russia is sorting itself out, unfortunately, in this way. This is, this is the end of uh, the Russian era that's been going on for hundreds of years where they have this fantasy about themselves as a great country and all that. They're, you know, uh, Putin is destroying the demon of Russia. How much gets destroyed around him? I don't know. It's like taking cancer out. Uh, China, think about China. You know, they have achieved incredible success. There's a lot of virtue in China mm -hmm. to go where they went. And quite frankly, people jump up and down about the COVID stuff. Well, you know what? I get it. They were extreme. 
but at least they, they didn't want to kill their elders. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's virtuous. Maybe they were crazy about it and authoritarian, but it, but it's like, you know, Russia will kill its elders. They'll yeah. kill their children. Okay. And so I think that you have to, so, so China is figuring out, you know, they are a homogenous society mm-hmm. with a grudge. They all got a grudge uh, and, um, they have power and can do so much and also have the wisdom of great, uh, you know, philosophies. So they're trying to navigate who they are now. They're used to being, um, you know, this adolescent with wisdom, you know, material adolescent with this ancient wisdom and having a grudge. And um, so they are figuring out who they are. And from what I hear, you know, China seems buttoned up on the top. It, it's simmering chaos within the whole country. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. As I'm moving into the second half of my life, uh, I'm embracing what I feel like is my vocation of trying to be a bridge builder um, to some level of perennial tradition that is not something codified and rigid in the past that we have to dig up um, in the name of you know traditionalism, but rather something that is always and everywhere present here uh, and present not um, present in our, the immediacy of our lives right here and right now. And I feel like good things are happening in the world that we don't have to feel like there's this hidden cabal, this hidden evil. It's actually my, my conspiracy that I adopt as a hermeneutic is hermeneutic is uh, the conspiracy of wholeness <laughs> that's that's constantly breaking in you mentioned um a complex simplicity and complexity i feel like every complexity converges into a new simplicity but it's a gestalt it's a new order a higher level of of being in a sense which then expands out like the breath expands out into a complexity and then drops back out into a new simplicity that that is a crystalline uh formation and order but it does produce a new gestalt. I think we're on the precipice of a new gestalt of human I think consciousness. You're absolutely right. You could look at it as as uh, you know the global culture evolves. Yeah. And it's like a breath that goes out, and then a breath that goes in, and yeah. then a breath that goes out. And so we we had a um, you know basically a breath came in in the 30s and 40s and change the world, you know, the inward breath of change, let's say, and may not be using that right, but then a huge breath came out, and now we have, we're sucking our air in now, boy, we, we arrived at this globalization, and you're absolutely right, there is, I, I have said it many times, you know, there is, I, I haven't used it, your word, but, the, you know, under the, with the new globalization, with technology, with the internet, um, there's a silent, a progressive, enlightened, um, growing group of people That's in it. every country yeah. that know that I'm no different than anybody else. Right. And they're in Iran, they're in Russia, they're in China, yeah. they're everywhere. And in so many ways, the technology is also has enlightened so many people. Sure. In place, to your point of the, um, you know, the wholeness is on the rise. Yeah, that's right. And, it's, and what it does, it's a light. And so then the darkness begins to um, get um, congeal. Yeah. It begins to purge itself. 
and you have extremes that come out where people get caught up in extreme thinking. Yeah, well, just to, and I have to end on this, but just to, to clarify that point, my th- what I've been uh, working on and, and in fact writing about a lot and my podcast, I, well, I do have a podcast, but my uh, yeah. interview with Rick will be about this. And that is the conspiracy of wholeness, which I, I use as an, a hermeneutic, but also yeah, yeah. Uh, I look at the, tyr- the tyranny of bellicosity because I feel like um, the, the thing that we're hoping to do different, I think this group of enlightened people that you're talking about that see ourselves as like everybody else, but not in the mundane sense, in the sense that um, the mundane is sacred. It's as sacred as it gets, you know? And I feel like the tyranny of bellicosity for me is this, what Rene Girard called the scapegoat mechanism. And this is what I hope we start to do differently is that, uh, when we feel a need to pit us against them, whatever that is, in order to answer for the anxiety, the existential anxiety, ultimately, about what we feel and the changing world that we're in, when that can move to the level of the heart, which is the only, I think, energy center, at least the first one, that we can hold paradoxes and tension together. When we can do that with a level of solidarity throughout the world, then I think something fresh and new um, can come in that wants to come in. Uh, and there we have the globalization, but local village. We have it. We have what we're, we've been seeking without the, uh, our, and the, the bellicosity will be healed not to dis- destroy it. You can't, you know, there is no such thing as redemptive violence in a sense, as you were saying, but rather seen uh, acknowledged, accepted, forgiven, um, and then seeking balance. And, and that's really the, that's what I feel like my vocation is right now. And I'm trying to do it in my own little ways, but thank you. I, I, yeah. I think the reality is this one thing. Yeah. It's great, great to, um, your generation needs to begin to express themselves. Um, I haven't, you know, we've been in this period of, of bait and click, and superficiality mm. and um everyone's got a business plan okay yeah so part of the period we're in but but your thinking is needed and your generation you know you're 20 years younger than me right. needs to start doing what merton did what Art yeah. did what these others did and start coming fixing the future yeah okay right now the past is being unfixed mm-hmm that's what it's about. You know, you're going to have to read some art. It's very profound. Yeah, I'm um, interested. Because, because the past is, doesn't exist, but it's fixed in our minds, what we believe. And so you have to unfix it, mm-hmm. change the mind in the gap. And uh, it's called forgiving. Yeah. And, that, and, and, what ha- and that's something that's been lost, and it will, we'll stop on this note, but we will recontinue. Yeah. Um, what, what also has to come back is one of the great gifts of Christ and Christianity yeah. is forgiveness. Yep. And, um, and it's the reason why the Western societies have, have been able to move forward. We can curse and, you know, the sins we've had, but there's a reason why we've been able to move forward. Inclusiveness, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And the Asian societies have so much to offer. They don't have forgiveness. 
in the same way. And so yeah. in some ways, as the Western economic models and business models dominated, the Asian philosophies began to dominate. And some of the good qualities of the Christian philosophies got marginalized and they have to come back. Yeah. I think that's a that's well stated. Um, you've thought a lot about this, and yeah. you and I have a lot of overlap of fundamental stuff that seems very important. But you also have an expertise in this whole financial section and and whatnot that in the business world it, that is foreign land to me. Um, yeah. And I appreciate your uh, thinking on that. So thank you. Yeah, we'll talk more. You know, and and for me, my own journey. Uh huh. I'm going to get kicked out of the ashram. My whole journey has been about getting kicked out of the ashram, out of the monastery. Yeah. I'll tell you about it sometime. Yeah. And, and I went into business kicking and, stri- and screaming. Why am I, you know, I'm, you know, it was like, you know, it wasn't something I ever wanted. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of my things I do is, I've studied, I'm not a professional, is astrology. Mm-hmm. And um, Vedic astrology has been a big part of my life. And one of the principles is that um, when you look at planets, you know, why is a planet exalted where it is in the zodiac, where it expresses itself in a more profound way? It's often in its opposite energy. It gets exalted in the anemone. And so you grow in opposites. Because you are having to, you're having to be challenged and how you accept that challenge. If it leads us to transit, you know, like transmitting negativity or do we take it to alchemically change? Yeah. 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 So I look at, you know, my soul journey is, you know what I needed, uh, you know, I probably had, you know, there's um, reincarnation or whatever. There's some element of truth to it, I think. Yeah. But the patterns were there. Hey man, you know, I, I was like, you know. Uh, a fish in, in water in a monastic setting and in a spiritual setting, and it my evolution ended there. Hmm. It was no longer for me, and I had to get kicked out. I had to get pushed out. I'm still in Fairfield. I'm so attached to monasticism, yeah. and spirituality, and uh, but I ended up, you know, having to pound the pavement in London and and work with money, yeah, power. So we'll talk more about that. Yeah, later. but you didn't lose your soul. I think you brought your 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 unitive consciousness into that because business and money and power is simply uh, uh, exchanges of energy that it happens in other ways too, huh? That's right. Yeah. I realize some of the most of all people I know yeah. are <laughs> pinnacles of Wall Street. Like, 